Hello and welcome to What Is This Behaviour? A new arts and culture podcast from Ashling and Amina. Each week we chat about a theme by bringing three things that we personally relate to that theme. One arts, one music and one political. We'll also have an agony art section, so send in your questions to our curious cat. Link in bio. Okay, let's go! <laughs> How are you, Amina? I'm good, Ashling. Welcome back to another episode. Yeah, yes. welcome back. Thank you to everyone who listened to our pilot episode on the theme of survival. Um, we appreciate the kind messages. Yeah, and um, it was really fun looking at on the um, on the app that we use for distribution. You can see where people are listening, and it was just everywhere from you know Bromley to Brazil and <laughs> Walthamstow to Warsaw. It written. <laughs> No, but there was actually people from like other countries and like all up and down the UK. So that was really cool. Um, so thanks, whoever you are. <laughs> this bloody cat. It's just, it's just. We have a special guest with us here today. Um, little kitten called Pierre. Casper. I'm calling him Casper because he just. Looks what like did you Casper. call him when you first met him? Pedro. No. <laughs> what did I call him? Um, Piers Mialgan. <laughs> Piers Mialgan, yeah. Piers Mialgan. Um, <laughs> so if you hear a little collar going off every now and again. Little meow. Um, little meow. Shall we get into it? Let's get into okay. it. Our theme for this week's episode is working in the arts. Yes, working in this wonderful if, and yet difficult um, industry <laughs> that we find ourselves in. 100%. If you didn't already know, now you know that we both do work in the arts. Ashling is an amazing poet and playwright. And Amina is also a curator. Some of the stuff we do as well, I mean, it's all kind of arts-based, but I guess we both sort of cross over into like, I don't think what to call it, like not social justice work and not like social community work, but like we both do art stuff, which is quite- um, That has a cause. Yeah, sometimes. I wouldn't really say I'm an activist. No, me neither, all, me neither. But, but I guess we cross over into something, another field which I'm not really sure what to call. Mm. Should we start off with the arts arts category? Yes, let's start off with the arts category for working on art. Yeah, um, so mine is um, a book called 100 Essays I Don't Have Time to Write and it's by a playwright called Sarah Rule. In fact, the full title is 100 Essays I Don't Have Time to Write on umbrellas and sword fights, parades and dogs, fire alarms, children and theatre. Um, so Sarah Rule is an American playwright. She's amazing. She's written some of my favourite plays. And um, she, has, she has a play called In the Next Room slash The Vibrator Play, which is amazing. It's like about, kind of about the invention of vibrators, which is, actually, I don't know if it's true. It probably is true, but they basically used to be used for like, um, to treat hysteria. Oh my! In like Victorian England and shit. I mean, I'm I'm. Are they are they trying to say that? Well, normally in Victorian England, mm-hmm. people who had hysteria was always women. Mm-hmm. So are they trying yes. to say that women are were hysterical? Mm-hmm. Quotation marks because they were horny. Um. Yeah. Except they didn't because there was like no um understanding of the female orgasm or like the female body. Wow, we got onto this quickly today. <laughs> um. It was like vibrators weren't seen as like a sexual thing it was just like they didn't understand like male doctors would like do it on women who were hysterical then they would obviously orgasm and then they would be like cured from their hysteria because they were karma or whatever 
but like obviously this got debunked fairly quickly but the play yeah. is the play is like a story um and it's it's really amazing it's just about it's about this doctor and his wife and the stuff that's going on there and there's this other couple and the woman has a serial it's really really interesting but anyway that's not what i'm bringing what i'm bringing is her essay collection which she wrote i think quite shortly after she had the third of her three children and it's kind of about um it's all these like really short essays most of them are about a page or two pages and she's just sort of flinging ideas around and they're such interesting ideas and some of them are like they're mostly about the arts and about theater um but she just covers everything she covers like tiny little microscopic parts of life and she covers these huge concepts in theater and in creative work in general and it's just lovely and it's it's such a nice book because you can kind of dip in and out of it and read as much as little as you want you could just sit and read like a handful of the essays or you can kind of stay in it for hours um and it's funny and it's just great and it's quite comforting i think because she's like some of the essays are just about her kids and the Mm. the shit that her kids get up to and i think that's really like quite relevant for the arts as well because all the little games that her children are playing with like boxes and broomsticks and stuff and they're so creative and it's like it's quite nice and you sort of forget about that side of it sometimes it's like that's what that's what you're sort of doing when you're making work is you're just like playing around and yeah yeah it's nice so really recommend cool. it do you feel like there's so the, the concept of the book is if she had more time mm. then she would have actually mm. developed these ideas mm. do you feel like there's ideas for you that you've had in the past that you kind of just like put in a drawer and just thought I'm going to come back to that when I have time yeah definitely I have like a note on my notes app which is like the titles or like seed ideas of plays which I have not written mm. um because I'll just think of like a situation or a character or or a you know whatever and I'll be like that could be a play or it could be a something but like it's four in the morning or I have to revise for this exam or I have to go to work or whatever so I don't write it but yes I definitely do that mm. do you do that yeah I think in 2020 um the that godforsaken year um when everyone was like oh use this time to pick up a new skill mm. and do this and do learn a language and become an astronaut and all that shit <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay by the end of the year i'm gonna write my first screenplay and i had this idea for so long um and i still haven't written it because i think for me like the hardest part is actually starting to write it because i really love the idea of it um but I just, I'm scared that I'm not going to do it justice when mm-hmm. I do start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely like so many, in terms of poems, there are so many documents I've got on my laptop um, or like just little free writes here and there, notebooks mm-hmm. that I started and I, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to go back to that. And then I just probably forgot about it or just got distracted or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... it happens. If only we had time to just sit in a studio and just create things all day and I know. get paid enough to survive and thrive. So for the art section, I brought an extract of a poem um, by a writer called Suzanne Césaire. Um So Suzanne was a Martinique surrealist writer. And I guess I discovered her because I'm doing a module at uni on surrealism. And the I guess the founding fathers of surrealism were all white men, from Paris, even though they like had quite good politics, like they were very anti like capitalist, um, anti-imperialism, anti-fascist, like they were basically exiled from Paris because of their political views. 
there isn't much diversity um, in what we can find about the surrealists. So I just thought to myself, there must be like black surrealists that existed, even though I found some names here and there, finding the work they actually produced and any information about them beyond Wikipedia was so difficult. Parts of the Caribbean and South America were considered some of the most surrealist places in the world. And some of the most incredible surrealist magazines and journals were actually created and edited by black writers, but their names have been completely erased from that. And it just made me think so much about what it means to be a writer of color and to be erased from history and to spend your entire working life producing incredible work and, and working so hard at it and not being given that credit in, in mm -hmm. history. So yeah, Suzanne Sir is a really cool poet and also with her husband, Amy Suzanne, they founded the Tropics Surrealist magazine um, and were editors of that. This is an extract of the poem, The Great Camouflages by Suzanne Sasser. The river of grass snakes that I call my veins. The river of battlements that I call my blood. The river of Bantu spears that I call my face. The river trekking on foot around the world will strike the artesian rock with 100 monsoon stars. Liberty, my only pirate water of the new year, my only thirst. Love my only sampant boat. We shall slip our fingers of laughter and calabash between the icy teeth of the sleeping beauty in the woods. It's so bad because I've heard of her husband, but not of her, which is so telling. Um, but yeah, what like, what do you, what attracts you to surrealist art? Mm, I think I did speak about Frida Kahlo in the last episode, <laughs> and I probably will bring up Frida Kahlo every single episode. But Frida was. I would consider her a surrealist artist. Surrealism is a lot about dreams, whereas Frida wrote that she paints more of her reality than her dreams. And I think what interests me about surrealism is that it's got these two separate branches, which is Freudianism, but also Marxism. Mm. Um, and they, and surrealists have said that they can't produce work or be their truest selves without having a balance of both. Um, so without having Freudianism and Marxism yeah whoa yeah so they have to they they make a conscious effort to have a balance of um, tapping into your subconscious and tapping into your dreams and your mental state but also being aware of your surroundings and um, the effects of fascism and the effects of colonialism on yourself your community and surrounding communities awesome. and, and all of that is expressing their work but I also think they're so wild as well like they would have these like weird um trance like seances where they would like they just were like always high on opioids oh to my be God. honest <laughs> they always high I mean that makes sense because of the surreal nature of the work but yeah wow born in the wrong era born like, in the wrong era I want to hang out with a bunch of people who want to do like Freudian Marxist art like that's yeah Who's doing that now? I'm sure people are doing it now, but Probably. I don't know them. That's so cool. So that's like their founding thing is this fusion between Between Freudianism and Marxism, yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, I've done so much research on surrealism mm. because I actually really do enjoy reading about it. I just found that 
it's not even just like black surrealists who were erased it was women as well that were erased mm. like mm. so many photos that you would see of these seances that they have there are women in the photos mm. and they're just not captioned and it's like what why yeah. like they clearly were present and if they are captioned or if they are mentioned they're mentioned as the spouses of the surrealist artists oh yeah this is the thing and it's like i feel like that's something that happens in the art world a lot because also um like different era and different art movement but like andy warhol and people like that um stealing um women's like women's ideas from the same movement i'm sure who's the oh my god she's amazing and i went to an exhibition of hers kusama yeah andy warhol like stole kusama's ideas mm. and never gave her credit obviously and like loads of other male artists white male artists um were doing the same thing like stealing women um women of color's ideas and like not getting credit and like obviously andy warhol is like a household name and kusama's like she's still people go to her exhibitions and stuff mm. but she was she's not um I guess as much of a household name as she's institutionalized and stuff like that. And it's just like, there's so many like invisibilized people in art history. Yeah. And it's so, and it has everything to do with like race and gender and class and stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of repeats itself. I really like your Levi jumper. Thank you. It's, re <laughs> it's really cozy. It's so cozy. Cute. I need to stop ordering shit to fill the void though. Cause Oh my god, can I show you the jacket? Yeah. Cardigan that I ordered yeah, yeah, last yeah. night. It's very cute. I just should not order things at um ten PM when I'm oh, like Oh I know. I nearly speak? ordered I nearly ordered like forty quid's worth of skincare the other night, like three in the morning, and then I was like, What am I doing? Oh that's so nice. Very cute. That's worth it. Yeah, that will make you happy. That will make me happy, yeah. I think. Okay, next section. Um should we do music? Yes. So the song that I have brought is called Girls Don't Always Sing About Boys by Ego LMA, who I thought was called LMA until this morning, so I'm a fake fan, but she called it Ego LMA. That's her. She really called Ego yeah. LMA. I picked this song because I really like how it sounds and I really like the lyrics. Um, she kind of talks about all these issues and like themes that she cares about and she wants to write about in her music, but um, has this kind of pressure to write love songs and heartbreak songs because of the kind of the nature of the commercial industry that she's kind of in and yeah I really like that I think it's this weird balance like for me when I write I guess more more so poems and poetry I mean yeah more poems than, play, than plays <laughs> like um my kind of go-to is writing about heartbreak because that's what just like comes naturally but then I'm like there are other, th obviously there are other things that I care about and I'll like, I'll like start writing a poem about something else. But then I'm like, especially like the last, I mean, before lockdown, before Corona and everything, most of the gigs corona. I was- Corona, sorry. <laughs> what, what? Sorry, Corona. <laughs> corona. <laughs> we'll insert that at the end, yeah. okay. Yeah, we got a clip for the end. Yeah, before Corona and everything happened, most of the gigs I was doing were for a certain company who I'm not gonna name for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> A certain organization. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> who like um, basically it's mainly a music organization, and people don't go there expecting poetry. 
And a lot of the time when the I would normally get sandwiched between two um, musicians. <laughs> Amina's done it too. And you're in the middle. And then the host, like the MC of the evening will be, right guys, like next up we've got a spoken word poet. And everyone in the audience, like you can just hear this like silent groan. Yeah. And there's all these people on like hinge dates. And they don't want your, they don't want your fuck the Tories poems. They yeah. don't, they don't want it. They don't want your angry feminist poems. They want some nice, love poems and because I was getting these were like mainly the only gigs I was getting most of the time I subconsciously was like writing for them because I wanted to have material and also like I wanted to feel comfortable because mm. that space is not comfortable it isn't like most of the, I, I've done so many for them and and like thank you as well because they paid for my groceries a lot of the time well groceries <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like um and I would want to have enough material to like get through a 25 minute set, which is what it normally was, which just felt so long for all these like horny couples basically. Mm. So I was writing like a lo- lot of love poems, a lot of like cute poems. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, trapped in the music industry with all these pressures. It's not, it's not really like that, but um, I don't know, there's weird pressures. And then also like the other thing of just like the song, like girls are always saying up boys. It's like, I feel like um, men, or like men that you're seeing or your exes or whatever, like assume that you're writing about them sometimes. Just like, oh my God, like, first of all, it was fictional. Or like, I don't know, like, I've literally had people be like to me, oh yeah, that poem that you did that was about me. Like I was, and I was like, what? Like, I'm like, the ego, like, Mm. or like if there's one line in there, which is from something that really happened, that doesn't mean the rest of the poem isn't a story. Like it's kind of, and obviously this happens, um, female artists are always, assumed to be writing autobiographically, whereas male artists are assumed to be clever enough to make things up, right? And like, when I had my play on at the beginning of last year, and this is fine, like this was just like mildly annoying. I don't think it's like an oppressive thing, but like loads of people who saw it were like, oh, so which one of the characters was you? And I was kind of like, well, none of them, like I made them up. I I wrote them from my head, like (laughs) not me. Imagination. Um, Yeah. Creativity. (laughs) Like, like, you know, and it's like, um, it doesn't help with all the imposter syndrome and stuff, but, Mm. yeah, I just, I like that song because it makes me think about all those things which are like variously, you know, on the scale of mildly annoying to actually quite oppressive. Mm. But um, yeah, that's that's me done, I think. Oh, that's me. Yeah, I've had other people also say to me, oh, was that about so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, who are you to be commenting on anything? Do you know what I mean? Because it's not my friends. Because my friends would like, my yeah. actual close friends would just be like, just comment on the poem itself do you know Exa- what i mean exactly rather than try and be like who was that about yeah like, do i know like no it was yeah. about the person in my head the and people in my head <laughs> that's the thing like even if it is even if you have literally r- written a poem about an experience you had with the person you still created that yeah like it's still it's still creative and it's still something that you did and like there's still going to be elements of fiction in there because like by its nature it's going to be unless Mm. it's literally like a journalistic report or an essay it's it is you know fiction really Mm. exactly so for my music selection um shout out to diane um (laughs) really this song makes me think of her every time i've chosen dolly parton working nine to five or just nine to five right i think it's just called yeah just called nine (laughs) to five Stumble in the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition. Jump in the shower, but start coming. I don't speak the best, start jumping. It's like being on the job, so now I'm working nine to five. 
What a way to make a living. Really getting by. Thinking that no giving. Just use your hand. Oh my. Give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. What a banger. What a banger, honestly. Every time. And I just feel like this song. Where is this cat? Are you under, oh, he's under the bed. <laughs> Alright, Piers. Um, I feel like the song doesn't really need any explanation or introduction or anything, do you know what I mean? Like, the lyrics really... First of all, Dolly stands for herself, do you know what I mean? Like, she brings us all the vibes. But also the lyrics of the song for the theme of working in the arts. It's so true, like... Even if you're not doing a nine-to-five, you're probably doing an eight to eight, <laughs> do you know mm. what I mean? Or a nine to nine, especially when you're freelance, like you're putting in so much more work because mm. every commission that comes through, you're just kind of like, okay, is this worth it? Because I need the money, mm. but also my morals are very, like, very important to me, do you know what I mean? Yeah, is this company um, like funded by some kind of oil Exactly, exactly. So Haima Mansofan, a couple of years ago, she was booked to do the Bradford Literature Festival. And then found out mm. that they were basically funded by Prevent. And Bradford being uh, a community where there's a lot of Muslims that would especially attend this event. And then then booking a lot of Muslim artists. Um, it just didn't sit well with her, with, with her morals and her politics, really. And mm. that has made me... That sort of discussion has made me, like, look into funders more. And, like, mm. who funds what... Um, and what is coming into my email but at the same time you can't you have to work do you yeah. know what i mean it's great to be in a position where you are able to say no do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. but not everyone can be in in that position and then like i remember when there was lo- loads of poets myself included <laughs> <laughs> who did nationwide adverts um and then there was like this one guy this white guy don't know his name who um, just went on Twitter just be like all oh, these sellout poets oh my and god duh, 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 duh. and I'm just like listen Fuck off you gonna pay us exactly <laughs> you gonna pay my rent yeah. like leave me alone um but Dolly's like lyrics encapsulate that for me like listen no ethical consumption under capitalism also means no ethical labour under capitalism mm. really so we can't be too harsh on ourselves mm. Literally, she says, working nine to five, what a way to make a living, barely getting by, it's all taken and no giving. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let them. I saw like quite a few, probably like 10 years ago now when I was in, when I was in school and I was doing musical theatre and I wanted to be a musical theatre actress. I went and saw Dolly Parton the musical, or I think it's actually called nine to five the musical. Mm. And it's so good. Mm. Oh my gosh. So, so you've got like a Dolly Parton character and then you've got like a slightly younger character and slightly older, it's these three women. And like the opening song is them singing nine to five and it's all them in their kitchens, like taking care of their kids, getting the coffee, getting the briefcase. And it was just so good. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, And everyone like, no one takes that seriously as a musical, but it's great. And it's a Dolly Parton jukebox musical. That's so sick. <laughs> this is like, would recommend. Yeah. That's also true. That's not even a nine to five, like being a mum. Not a mum, but. No, yeah, the double um, shift. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm working back to back shifts. Um, mm-hmm. And who gives you credit? They never give you credit. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, shout out to 
Dolly. Yeah. Shout out to them. Great podcast called Dolly Parton's America as well, if mm. anyone's interested. Nice. Oh, I hope they give us a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> you better. <laughs> right. Okay, next section. Oh, cat break. Oh my god, don't throw. Oh my god, he's heavy. He is. Do you know how old he is? How old? How old would you say this cat is? Well, I know that he's actually quite young because I remember like when she oh, got yeah. him, he was a kid. Oh my god, yeah. are we covered in cat hair? Oh yeah, sorry. Oh, those things really work. They do. I always kind of thought it was a scam. No, they actually do work. They... Oh, For those of you who can't see, which is everyone but me, Mina is lint rolling herself with a really nice, like, patterned lint roller from H&M. Right. It's got floral like, print. Floral. It's got, is that a leopard on it? Palm that trees. is a leopard. I would have said a cheetah. Oh, sorry. No, no, I, really no, I my, just, I don't know my spots. <laughs> Thanks. Also just feels quite bougie to do this. It does. Maybe my, maybe oh, the bar <laughs> Should we get on to the political section? I will kick us off. Um, so I already mentioned this incredible poet, um, Sahama Mansur Khan, but I'm going to give a shout out in this political section to a book called A Fly Girl's Guide to University, Being a Woman of Colour at Cambridge and Other Institutions of Power and Elitism. There are four authors of this book. Lola Olufemi, Adelia Young, Waythra Sabantandira, and Sahima Mansur Khan. They all went to Cambridge University. They were part of a collective called Fly Girls, uh, which was a collective of women of colour, uh, which we can imagine at an institution like Cambridge. Was small in numbers. <laughs> was, was very small in numbers. <laughs> and so they published this um, book a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, and a lot of it is journal entries of when they were studying at Cambridge, um, poems that they've written, sort of blog posts that they've written, like reflections post-graduation. And there's a couple of chapters in here that I'd yeah, like to shout out and maybe read a couple of quotes from. So the first is We Are Not Your Playthings by Lola Olufemi. <laughs> the epigraph for this section says, this article was written in response to the commissioning of a personal diary by a white student entitled 10 Weeks in Kampala, published by a student newspaper at Cambridge. So as we can imagine, this is um, an article about um, the phenomenon that is the gap year. It's just about white students traveling to Africa, to be honest. <laughs> and some white saving a complex bullshit. But there are a lot of like quotes in it that made me think really about what it means for me to be a black woman working in the arts and how often that is seen as exotic and a trope. And really, if we're being honest, I get the most amount of gigs at Black History Month. A quote from this article that stood out for me says, this is about ownership of narratives that do not belong to white people. And I think this line and the title of the article being, we are not your playthings, just makes me think about how I don't want to be on a lineup to fill a role that's expected of me. I don't want to fill a diversity quota. There have been so many instances um, when I've performed at places and have had 
people come up to me and ask very invasive questions like we were talking about before about is that about an ex or is that about so and so or whatever but also i've i remember one time this guy came up to me and was like what does your mum think about your poems and i was like what (laughs) i was like what what has my relationship with my mum got anything to do with you like leave me alone why do you want to know as well like why is that of interest exactly exactly um so yeah that that quote made me think about that a lot the second article that I wanted to shout out was um, by Sahima Mansukhan, and it's called Learning to Stop Saying Sorry. So I'm just going to read the first short paragraph. My first attempt to do something with my revitalised anger, to do something with my frustration at those around me who denied me my fullest existence, was to write something. Perhaps it wasn't shouting, but at this stage anything was better than silence. It marked a new start, the start of proclaiming my difference, the start of no longer hiding, and the start of writing becoming a source of comfort and liberation. It was me grasping for air in that sea of mayonnaise white and saying, I refuse to be drowned out. You will see me. Mm. Um, and I think this, first of all, what a banging start to an article. Mm. Like, really, really beautiful. I have ownership over my words and what I put out into the world. I don't have ownership of how they respond to things and Mm. what bookings I get um, as a black woman or as a Muslim woman. Um, But like Sahima said, I refuse to be drowned out. You will see me. I guess I'm conscious of what I put out because in so many cases and instances, I've been told in the past, that I speak for a community mm. and mm. I don't speak for any community. I speak for myself. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Like I've never had to speak for a community. That's not something I've ever had to do. You know, mm. that's not been expected of me or assumed of me when I speak. So yeah, definitely. I think just going back to um, the Lola Olifemi essay, I think that's so, it just made me think of how, um, like it's like part of me is shocked that like, Cambridge would publish that and like most people wouldn't be like why would we want to read Mm. this but then I'm like well it's not shocking like it's most people are not bothered by that kind of thing and then it also it also makes me think of like just how like colonial dynamics always reproduce themselves and just kind of keep going because it's literally like um like the travel diaries that um like European like victorians used to write when they would go to these like colonized countries like you know flaubert who wrote um i'm probably butchering his name he wrote um madame bovary Mm. so he has this um egypt travelogue which is like published which is like his time in egypt and lots of it's about a prostitute that he slept with and it's always just it's just like it's just grim and like there's obviously there's all these um like postponal discussions of it now where it's like he's um writing at a time when it's like the industrial revolution and the French nation is having an identity crisis and he's trying to construct an image of the French man and the brown woman. It's all this, there's all this stuff, but it's like, people are really still doing that now. <laughs> like mm. Cambridge gap year students are really still doing that shit now. Mm. And they're probably going over there and like, you know, constructing ideas about people, people that live in these countries. And it's just like, oh, it's just, yeah. Just a lot. Just keeps going, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Never ending. Anyway, anyway um, so I have also brought a Lola Olufemi essay from her book, Feminism Interrupted, Disrupting Power, 
which is just like this whole book is like probably one of the best feminist texts I've ever read. I read it last year and it's just amazing. And I bought it for my sister for Christmas and it's just brilliant. It's like a amazing, um, like I think it would be an amazing way into feminism if it's something like new to you, like reading feminist books, but it's also if it's something that you are experienced in, it will still teach you a lot, like definitely. Mm. Um, Cause she covers so many different topics kind of related to feminist politics in here. But the essay that I've brought is called Art for Art's Sake. And in it, she kind of writes, I think really radically about like art and why women make art and especially why black women make art and like how that is perceived and what, like what purpose it serves in society, but also for the people that make it. Mm. Um, so I've brought a quote, I've brought a couple of quotes, but here's the first one. We do a disservice to the power of art and artistic creation when we assume that it's less important than political intervention. Likewise, we do ourselves a disservice when we assume that art alone can liberate us. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really amazing because it's kind of working from a place of like, art is political mm. and art is political. Like yeah. certain, it's, it's political from the standpoint of like, we live in a world where not everyone can make art. Not everyone is in a position where they can do that. And some people can. People still like um, are like snobby about political art. I feel yeah. like, like I don't know. I grew up definitely not not in terms of my family, but just in terms of like studying um, performing arts and arts and like then just being around a lot of creative people. And I think the adults in our lives would kind of be like, oh, well, you're not trying to prove a political point. You're trying to make a story, or do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, well, you can do both. Mm. <laughs> like recently, I had. Um, some feedback on something I'd written from an anonymous playwright who was an anonymous male playwright who was very helpful in a lot of ways. Okay. But he did tell me to stop being so political. I think he accused me of writing a manifesto instead of a play. Holy shit. And I was like, I mean, to be fair, like on a, in a technical sense, that was a fair comment because there wasn't enough story in my story. But how can you sit there as a man and tell a woman to not be so political? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I, I don't know. Um, also, like, there is so much value in political theatre. Like, there's there's plays which aren't about story and they're about politics and, like, that's that serves a purpose. Mm. And that's and also, like, even what we what we call a story is very down to, like, Western kind of ideals of, like, you know, dramatic structure and all that bullshit. Like, there are, there are plenty of ways to make a story. That's just, like, a personal gripe for me, like, about mm. theatre. But anyway, then there's another quote... Um, Art can abstract us from the demands placed on our bodies at any given time. And I think that's an amazing quote because it just made me think of like how when you're consuming art, when you're looking at a painting or watching a movie or mm. listening to a song or a poem or anything and you just feel completely in it. And and in that moment, you're not, it's like you're no longer in your body and you're no longer, um, this is so wanky, but like you're no longer, you're like, you're physical mortal self you're just mm. you're just in that moment you're just consuming that art and that's all you're doing yeah and that's amazing and that's like a break that we all need and that's why it's so wonderful but then also when you make something and you're really in that process of making it it's kind of a similar thing and yeah um, definitely yeah existing in this world is tiring really tiring and taxing mm. and you know for some people more so than others and i think yeah it's that thing like poetry is not a luxury like just going off that and I think art is not a luxury. I literally said that in the last episode. <laughs> it's just, I tell myself that every day. It isn't a luxury or a privilege, but at the same time, it's definitely a privilege to be able to do that full time. Yeah. Like, I don't ever think, I don't even know if I'll 
ever get to a position mm. ever ever mm. ever <laughs> if i will get to a position where like we said before i can just create all day mm-hmm. do you know what i mean why does that feel like a utopia like some people yeah. can just do that yeah some people really can yeah. <laughs> just fuck about and yeah lucky them well, i would love to um spend my life writing plays and working with people to write plays and, and writing poetry and performing it and stuff like that but I don't I, f- I, I don't know if it's going to be possible and my feeling is that it's not mm. and I remember when I was first starting to write I was like I went to a lot of like workshops and Q&A's and stuff because I had no idea like how the industry worked I, I still don't really know how much money you get paid if you write a play and it goes on because mm. it's like so varied and no one wants to talk about it and at all these Q&A's I would always be like I would ask these playwrights like so is it possible to make a living as a playwright or do you have another career and most of the time they would be really shady about it. Mm. They would be like, like no shade to these, I'm not, obviously I'm not gonna name them, but like a lot of them would be like, especially the older, like more middle-class established ones would be like, oh yeah, well, you know, I I also make money because I do a bit of producing and I and I have, I'm lucky because um, my mum has money and like, you know, like they would, <laughs> I make money from the theater, but I also teach. And it's like, but can you make a living as a playwright or not? Mm. And like, sometimes the kind of younger, playwrights who tended to be a bit more honest would be like well no I also work in this industry and I do this part-time yeah or like I am some, sometimes one woman actually said I made this amount from playwriting last year and like actually told me and it's like when you're a young person like coming into it you need that you that need to know is so important yeah and like or like asking people how did you get into this industry yeah. and so many of these people that I asked would be like oh well you know um they would tell me, oh, I went to uni, I did this, and I wrote to loads of people, and I kept emailing back, and all this stuff that you would hear, oh, but my auntie did work at this theatre, and she did give me a letter. And it's like, okay, so, you know? But, like, you already had, like, yeah, your whole foot in the door. Exactly, anyway, and just, like, know? be honest about it. You, you had know? your lineage like, in the room. Literally. <laughs> literally, and, like, of course, like, it is it's who you know, not what you know, and everything, and, like, mm. a lot of the opportunities that I've had have been from people I know, but I know those people because of, like stuff that I've done for myself, if exactly. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I, I, before I was doing this, I didn't know anyone, like certainly not anyone I was related to was, was doing it. Yeah. And I've really like seen that, like even um, kind of on a separate note, like I did my first um, like research job last year. And from that, I've got two more research jobs just from, just from mm. someone I know, do you know what I mean? And it's like, it just, I don't know, you look at people in a job and you think, oh, they got that job because they did an interview for it. Mm. But most people didn't interview for the job they have, you know? Working in this industry, especially in London, isn't always, like, always cracked up to be, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people are as transparent as they can, as they could be. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with, like, fees and money. And I don't know why people are so hesitant to disclose what they've made from a certain project mm. because there've been people in the past that I've that I've been on the same event with and I'm just being like hey and I've been approached for that event just to be like sorry we can't actually pay you a fee and then I would reach out to other people that I know have worked with them in the past or mm. that have been on lineups with them and I'm just like hey like just to I've been approached by this company like do you remember what your fee was for mm. it and like they were so resistant to <laughs> to yeah. to disclose that and I'm just like I'm not going to contact hmrc you yeah. know what i mean like <laughs> i'm not gonna but i will if you don't tell me <laughs> yeah exactly. i'm not gonna like yeah that's not i'm more interested in whether or not 
is worth it, do you know what I mean? Because you can't be paid an exposure for the rest of your life. Like you actually need other people in this industry to back mm. you up in that as well. Belinda Jawi tweeted the other day, she didn't mention the, the poet that she did a gig with, but she mentioned that she looked up to them for about a decade. She got an email from the organizers and it was that that poet had split their fee to be spread across everyone that was involved. Wow. And I was like, that is such an honorable thing to do. It's such a beautiful thing to do because the likelihood that a more established, well-known poet is gonna get paid 10 times your fee is realistic. That's gonna happen, do you know what I mean? There are so many young writers, young poets that are coming through in the scene and who have no idea what they're stepping into. Mm. And also in terms of admin, I had absolutely oh. no idea what I was stepping into. I didn't have to write an invoice. Yeah, me like, neither. I didn't no know one ever teach. I had to just copy one from Google the first yeah. time. Also just mad that we're unionizing against fucking poetry organizations. Yeah. Like having to take this kind of fucking industrial action of like splitting the fees. Like these, these people are like, I mean, obviously they're under pressure because they don't get as much funding as they should, but it's, it's mad, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. They're being such a destructive element of working in the arts and the creative scene and a lot of that centering around men and how uncomfortable men can make you feel mm. at events mm. over email um over social media in in every aspect and how little accountability there is for that as well and we've had like conversations about this it's like just personally and separately that also feels like it's like women and non-binary people in the scene who are like unionizing against men and who are like coming together Literally. and being like we need to protect ourselves and, and we need to yeah we just need to be safe yeah it is it's <laughs> unionizing against men is such a mood like yeah. but it's like you have to in this um yeah i was thinking about this because it's like this thing of accountability when you're in a scene, right, inverted commas, or a community, or whatever we want to call the people that do poetry in London, where yeah. we do poetry, whatever we want to call that, there are no structures like there would be in an institution. And I'm not saying institutions have worked out accountability, because they definitely haven't. But there are, at the very least, procedures you can yeah. go through if someone harms you or harms someone. Yeah. And often those procedures don't work, and often they're difficult to access or for various reasons, but at least they kind of exist. Whereas yeah. in, in like the poetry scene, who do you, what do you do when someone does that? Like they're not employed by anyone that they just do the same events that you do. And it's like, how do you warn people so that, oh, I don't know, it's, it's a whole kind of worms, isn't it? But There's no HR department. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. There's no board of directors mm. for the like invert comma poetry scene. Mm. You're right, like, who do you who do you turn to? And you see all these, like, young women coming in and doing these, like, beautiful, vulnerable poems, which are so heartfelt and so brilliant, and you're like, I really want you to keep doing this, but I'm really scared you're gonna get sucked into this very toxic... Mm. And I'm like, maybe we... Also, I guess, I remember when I first started doing poetry, men were really friendly to me. Mm. And, like, a lot of women were as well. But I remember thinking, wow, everyone's really friendly here. All the men here are really nice, you know, because I was 18 <laughs> and I didn't think they had ulterior motives. And I'm like, maybe we just need to be even more friendly, right? Mm. Maybe we need to just like suck the girls in before before they get the, before the men get their hands on them. Yeah, with the collective men I trust, we, we actually tried that. Like we tried to bring these women that we all in the same community, like together in one collective so we can talk and so we can write about other women who are writing and who inspired mm. us 
the ridiculous responses that we got on Twitter was so wild. So like bearing in mind that all of these women that were part of the collective all at some point were part of the Buckingham Poets Programme. And so there, there was this man, this poet man, who... <laughs> dis- poet man, the worst superhero of all time. <laughs> who decided to email our mentor on the Barbican Young oh Poets programme. Who bear, like, that bearing in mind, like none of us were like at present, at that present time on the programme. We had all just been on it at some point. What a sad little life. <laughs> what a sad little life. <laughs> Sitting there in his little computer like, hey. sorry, sorry, go on. No, truly, he literally was like, oh. Do you know what these women in your group are doing? Do you need to hold them again with you? And because of you, mate, if you're listening, about this, <laughs> our Twitter got suspended multiple times. <gasps> oh. And I just, and I feel like it wasn't just this poet man, it was poet men. There's been so many brave women online who've been sharing their experiences and have been so honest that it, we're kind of doing a disservice to each other if we don't support each other through that mm, do you know what i mean and mm. we don't just generally say like listen my dms are open like which means my door is open for you which means mm. when like if i have the capacity like i'm here to listen also if your abuser is my friend i will still believe you yes because i think that's one thing i'm like <laughs> like i know the person's friend who did that to me you know Mm. i can't think of a better way of saying that like these circles are too tight-knit and you i think we assume that people have loyalty to these men just because they've been friends with them a long time but i know i wouldn't if i found out i mean i don't have that many close male friends i have a couple but if i ever found out they'd done something to a woman Mm. like that would be it mate like no absolutely not loyalty to men loyalty to men Insert Eartha Kitt yeah. laugh here. <laughs> yeah, shall we? If a man came into your life, wouldn't you want to compromise? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> a man comes into my life and I have to compromise? You must think about that one again. <laughs> into my life and you have to compromise for what? <laughs> Poetry is not a luxury, but men are dessert. They're not necessary. They can be fun, but they're not That's necessary. a Cher quote, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I just fused Audrey Lord and Cher. What are you going to do Sorry. about it? <laughs> Sorry, I had to figure out. And that's out girl here. power. <laughs> okay, should we wrap it up before things get out of hand? Alright guys, I'm with that. Corona. Corona. See you next time. <laughs>